Welcome to another episode of The Marist Minute. I'm Dan Lai from Notre Dame Preparatory School, and today we are talking to Father Jim Straws. Welcome, Father Jim. Father Jim will be my guest for the next several weeks as we dive into this question, what does it mean to be a Marist? Each episode will approach the topic differently, but to begin, every good story has an origin. This week, we will explore the question, who are the Marists? How did the movement got started? Okay, the Marists, Dan, are a Catholic movement based on the Gospels, which has evolved into four religious communities and a lay branch. Uh, these are the Marist Fathers and Brothers, which are here at Notre Dame Prep. Uh, there is a group called the Marist Brothers of the School. They're all brothers, and they run schools essentially from elementary to university. They're the largest of the groups of Marists throughout the world. Um, then there are the Marist Sisters. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have about five or six Marist Sisters on the east side of Detroit. They used to run two schools here in Detroit, parish schools. There's a group called the Missionary Sisters of the Society of Mary. They're here in the United States as well, but also throughout the world. And they're a group of women religious who were founded specifically to do foreign mission work. And one of the crazy things was that, uh, you know, they were sent from France and then not too long afterwards from the United States. Now, sisters are coming to the United States and to France to do missionary work here because uh, there's a need for evangelization and things. And then finally, there's the Marist laity. From the very beginning, it's always been that the Marists would have uh, a group of lay people who would take their spirit and live it and uh, be Marist in the world today in ways that we who are priests and religious can't do. So Marists are centered around the belief that God still works in the world and desires through Mary, the mother of Jesus, to bring Christ to others through the efforts of men and women who will learn to think, feel, judge, and act as Mary in all things. Historically, we were founded in post-revolutionary France um, in 1816. The, the story of our foundation is sort of interesting. All of the main characters uh, who were founders of the Marists, uh, Father Jean-Claude Collin, who Marist fathers and brothers see as their founder, uh, Marceline Champagnat, uh, Saint Mars, he's now Saint Marceline Champagnat, who was the founder of the Marist Brothers of the Schools, um, Father Etienne Decla, Father uh, Etienne Terraillon, um, St. Peter Chanel uh, and all of those guys are born in either in France during the revolution or just before it and I mean like a year before it or they are born shortly afterwards and the French Revolution basically decimated the Catholic Church in France there was a period of time between 1793 and 1794 which was called the Reign of Terror. And they literally went around, uh, either you 
took up the secular religion of France or they killed you. There was, there was no in between in this whole thing. And that lasted, I think it was 18 months or something. But the consequences of it continued on for years afterwards into the reign of Napoleon and, and the alike. Uh, and there was a, a young man, his name was Jean-Claude Corvée, and um, he was born during this period of time. And Corvée actually, um, as a young man, had smallpox, and it left him nearly blinded. And in 1809, his mother had taken him to a Catholic shrine in Le Puy, uh, which is in central France, central southwest France, and there his eyesight was cured. Wow. And so every year afterwards, Jean-Claude Collin would, uh, Jean-Claude Corvée would go back to Le Puy, and in 1813, he has this uh, interior revelation that uh, Mary wants a group of, of people to carry her name to be called Marist, and to uh, be her body in the world today. Now, Corvée eventually goes off to a seminary in Lyon, and later in 1813. And in 1815, 12 young men come together to formulate a group that will do this. And uh, in 1816, on July 22nd, half of the group is ordained to the priesthood. But they're diocesan priests. They're not religious. And so they're all going to be sent off to different places. So on the 23rd, the next day, they climb to an ancient shrine, which is on a hill just outside of Lyon called Fouvier. And there they pledge to found the Marists and that they will, you know, um, do everything in their power. Well, out of the 12, uh, Corvée leaves the group. And then uh, there are only four left. And those four are the ones that really begin and carry on the Maris Project. And they, um, the one that steps up into leadership, the most unlikely of persons, is Jean-Claude Collin. And he becomes the founder of the Maris Fathers and Brothers. And uh, he and the others saw themselves as being missionaries. They went to places where um, priests had not been for 10 or 12 years, and they would preach missions, oftentimes that would go uh, like five, six, seven, eight weeks at a time. And while that they were there, they would do it in this way of Mary. Um, and slowly they start to accumulate numbers of people uh, to join them. And so, uh, you know, Marists uh, approach things in as much as they can. They try to imitate the virtues of Mary, uh, and they try to breathe her spirit, a spirit of humility, of close union with God, ardent love of neighbor, and doing the work of Mary. Uh, and so Marists see for themselves, they're, you know, they're going to have a, a metaphor that they look at uh, they're going to see the early church, and they see that that spirit of oneness of heart and mind. That's what they're supposed to try to achieve. In all that they do, 
they they have this missionary spirit about them, and they're supposed to renew the church where it already exists, and they're supposed to implant the church where it doesn't exist. And so we've been doing that. In 1836, we were formally approved by the Vatican, and um, at the same year, we sent missionaries off to the Western South Pacific. Uh, there were four men that went off. Uh, only three got there because one of them died along the way. The youngest and, and supposedly the most healthy of the group uh, died there uh, along the way. And uh, most of them never returned hmm. to Europe. Once they were going, they knew that they wouldn't be coming back again. Um, Maris also, starting in 1829, uh, started running high schools oh, wow. in France. Uh, the first one that Father Collin was in charge of was uh, a place that was known as Le Petit Seminaire du Ballet. Um, it was a minor seminary, but it was also a day school. And it would take kids from sixth grade through junior college. Wow. And, you know, these, uh, these priests that were there, that came to be there, would educate these guys. Uh, the Maris then opened their own school in Belay, and shortly after that, they started opening schools throughout France. There's a, a French dictionary called, I believe it's called uh, Le Petit Rousset, and it's uh, in it. One of the funny things is they have a definition of Maris, which is a subspecies of Jesuits, because in many ways, we adopted some some of the things the Jesuits do, but we're very different from the Jesuits. We're different from a lot of different orders. Um, here in the United States, uh, we came to the United States in, in 1863, and within eight months, we opened the first school, so January, February of 1864, in Convent, Louisiana. In the height of the Civil War, we opened a school for boys. And uh, we had that school until I think it was 1928, uh, when it just wasn't necessary anymore. We've had schools in California, uh, Utah, Maine, Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and here in Michigan. And this is our third school that we have uh, either founded or directed or sponsored here in Michigan. The first was, uh, we came in 1951, and uh, at the request of Cardinal Mooney, we took over the Cathedral High School, which was right behind uh, Blessed Sacrament Cathedral. The building is now gone. Uh, we ran that till 1956. In 1954, we opened Harper Woods Notre Dame High School for Boys. Uh, we owned and operated that till 1997, and then from 1997 to 2005, we ran it for the diocese. We came here to Pontiac at the request of Cardinal Mida in 1994. Uh, we took over the building here, and we opened Notre Dame Prep. A year or two later, we opened the middle division, or the middle school, and then uh, somewhere in the early 2000s, Cardinal Mida came back and said, I need a great school. And so we, we opened the elementary 
of the lower lower school uh, and things. We don't own the school any longer. Uh, we now sponsor it. And sponsoring means basically we imbue it with the spirit for the mission of the school. Um, we give it its aim and we watch over that as well as the Catholicity of the school. Well, I want to take you back uh, a little bit to something you said about um, Father Colin and the other founders of the, of the order. Uh, you know, I see sometimes that his name is associated as the reluctant founder. Why, why is that? <laughs> Father Colin had a very interesting life. Maybe we should make one of these topics just Jean-Claude Colin. Um, I told you that, you know, the, the revolution was brutal on Catholicism. What well, was brutal on Colin's family? He was raised in a little farming village. He was born in a little farming village uh, called Saint Barbere, and there at Saint Barbere, he, uh, you know, he was a happy kid for about a year and a half, two years. Then the revolution broke in, and his father and mother um, took in the local. Catholic priest, the parish priest, which was against the law. Uh, they were hunting priests down. and uh, So the dad did that, and the dad quickly came to be known as, you know, this guy who was doing this. And so the father became hunted, and the dad had to leave the, the family home, the family farm. The authorities came in and took the house, basically, they left the house for the family, but they took all the furniture. They took the land. And so for like two or three years, uh, the dad was on the run, and the mom was trying to run the thing, and she had uh, eight or nine kids. And um, at the end of it all, the dad finally can come home and... Uh, Within a matter of a couple months, the mother dies. Wow. So Colan is like maybe three or four at this point. And then eight weeks later, the dad dies. And, you know, it's, uh, the, his childhood was so traumatic, he turns in on himself. He prefers to be alone. And, you know, uh, he, there's a woods outside of Le Barberet, and he goes to that woods and he spends a lot of time there and he's off by himself and all the rest. Well, he becomes very shy. He um, also becomes very scrupulous. And uh, he has, a, you know, he's got a great brain in things, but he always has this shyness about himself. And he doesn't like to push himself forward. This is not Colan. And uh, suddenly he gets in the seminary and, you know, he finds the Maris Project and he said, oh, I like this and all the rest. He's ordained a priest and he very slowly but very quickly finds himself having to take over because he finds that Father Corvey um, grandstands a lot, but he's not much in the way of substance. And so God gives Colan this, these graces uh, to do things, and he's his first parish as a diocesan priest. His brother is the pastor, 
and his brother pushes him. He knows him well, pushes him, and slowly Colan emerges as this, you know, as this figure and things. But he, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of baggage that comes with his uh, uh, with his childhood. There's a story that he was traveling by um, carriage to go someplace, and uh, the carriage overturns into a cold uh, body of water. It's in the winter, and of course he's soaked. But there's this woman who has fallen out of the carriage, and of course the modesty and, and the propriety of the time demanded that you know they that men, especially priests, not get near women. But this woman is drowning, and he goes to the guy who's the you know carriage driver. And he says, "You got to do something for." Her. And the guy said, "Well, Father, I'm a little bit busy here because my carriage, my livelihood has you know fallen into this lake." So Cole <laughs> gets in the water and he sticks out his umbrella, and he pulls the woman to to safety, and things, and uh, you know uh, takes care of her in that. So you know he's being pushed beyond his his comfort zone, but he always maintains a certain reluctance about putting himself forward, and therefore when it comes to be the founder of the Marists, that reluctance remains. And it's in some ways you know it helps him, in other ways it's a detriment to him, um, but. I think the important thing is that it shows you, or shows us at least, that you know, God takes the raw material of our lives and can do spectacular things if we allow God into our lives to do it. And Colan's life is filled with, with different things. Uh, during a revolution of, of 1848, for example, um, he's at a, a house which is the general house of the Marist fathers and brothers, He's still the, the superior general, and he also um, it's also a school. And this group, this mob, is coming around. And he told the father who was in charge of uh, the treasurer of the house, who was in charge of the kitchen, if they show up, feed them. And so he's got this mob of guys that show up about 10 or 12 o'clock at night. And this this priest, Father Humbert, I believe it was. Um, he feeds them. Wow. And Colan is sort of standing behind, you know, not not getting involved in that. But then he moves out and he starts to talk to them more and more and things. So, you know, he's he's the reluctant founder from that point of view. So, I, I mean, it sounds like, like you said, we could almost do a whole series on his life and, and some of the things he did leading up to the, the founding of the, the, the order. We could. Yeah. And, it you know... Um, it's it's really a story of, of God's action in somebody's life, and it, and he gets he he's the most sickly of the of the people who are the four founders. Wow! Uh, and he's the one who lives the longest. Oh, that's which is that's <laughs> irony. <laughs> it most certainly is because he was close to death two or three times, and uh, you know he's he's the one who ultimately I think he was eighty something when he dies. Wow. And uh, but he's uh, he's a man who has many many dimensions to him, and 
education, for example, was very, very important to him. And he saw education as being a missionary endeavor. And he believed that, that Marists should be involved in education. In fact, he told one young priest in France in the 1840s that uh, who wanted to go off to the foreign missions in the worst way possible. And he told him, he said, I'm going to let you teach for a year or two. The young priest objected strenuously. And Colin came back and said, no, you don't understand. This work here is twice as difficult as any foreign mission could ever be. That, you know, to, to impart the gospel, the good news of Christ to young people is truly a, a challenge that needs to be undertaken. So, yeah, you're right. We could probably do very long podcast on <laughs> 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 Father Colette. <laughs> Well, on that note, uh, our next episode, we're going to explore this this idea that Father Colin had. Uh, he, he referred to this this tree of, of Ameris. I believe that was his vision. And um, I think that for our next podcast, we can go a little bit deeper into that. Uh, so tune in next time, and we'll have Father Jim back with us. Uh, thanks again for coming and, and giving us a brief introduction about like the Marist, uh, the history. And uh, thanks a lot. Thanks, Dan.